Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. So if you've been listening to the show all season, you know that earlier in the year, we had a running joke that every single time we would record and put out a podcast, schedule news would drop the immediate day after. It was almost like clockwork at a certain point. It was, I think we had like a five week in a row streak going at one point where it was, we record, podcast goes out, news the next day. So we kind of went back to that last week. We talked about the possibility of Shea Ralph potentially leaving for the Vanderbilt head coach job, but nothing was official at that point. And then, of course, what happens the next morning other than Shea Ralph getting announced as the new head coach? UConn loses its longest tenured current assistant. Ralph actually had the second longest tenure of any UConn assistant under Gina Oriema behind only Tanya Cardosa, who was there one more year. So what does this mean for UConn? It's obviously a big loss, but how much of an impact do you see this having on the program? Yeah, so I think obviously it's a big loss for the program, right? Shea Ralph has been there for a long time, but you still have Gino and you still have CD. So I think in a lot of ways, things kind of stay the same because those two have been the heart and soul of the program for so long. And even with a big loss like Shea, I think things kind of... stay at status quo regardless of who they end up bringing in which we don't know quite yet who that's going to be but not to jump too far into this because we'll talk about it more in a little bit but one big candidate crossed off Jen Rosati took the job as team president of the Connecticut Sun so she won't be joining the sidelines I think if you look at who UConn's had as assistants really since 1995 that's when they've had a lot more continuity most of those hires have been very, very good. You have Charlene Curtis, Tanya Cardoza, Jamel Elliott, Shea Ralph, Marissa Mosley, Jamel Elliott again. Really the only one that didn't work out very well was Jasmine Lister. We still have absolutely no idea what even happened with her, why she left, why she left so unexpectedly. Every now and then I Google her name on Twitter to see if she's popped up anywhere. I haven't seen anything. So that feels like probably one of the riskier hires that UConn made trying to get a young assistant coach that would be with the program for a while. And if you're hitting at that high of a success rate, you're bound to have one slip up at some point, but I would probably guess that this will be a pretty safe hire and the qualifications that UConn put out for the job are pretty, I don't know what the right word is stringent specific. I'll read them off. So the job actually already closed on Tuesday. So we just talked about us recording, putting out the show and news coming the next day. Based on our past history, this new assistant coach is probably going to get announced tomorrow. So who could have predicted this one coming? Checking in from the edit again on Wednesday at 815 on Wednesday morning, UConn announced that Morgan Valley will step down as the head coach at Hartford and return to be an assistant at UConn. Obviously, she played at UConn from 2000 to 2004, won three national championships, stayed on for one year after as a student assistant. Valley has been an assistant at seven different schools over the span of 14 years before she became the head coach at Hartford ahead of the 2019-20 season. So all the qualifications that I'm about to read off on the podcast that we recorded on Tuesday night fit Morgan Valley and only Morgan Valley. 
the minimum qualifications, a bachelor's degree, five years of coaching experience working within a women's collegiate division one basketball program, coaching experience at two or more universities that are members of the power five conferences, working knowledge of the correct application of NCAA regulations, strong commitment to the academic goals of the university, and an excellent organizational teaching, communication, and public relations skills. Preferred qualifications, Division I head coaching experience, coaching experience on teams that have advanced to at least the regional round of the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship, demonstrated experience coaching players who have achieved conference and or national honors, former playing experience at the Division I collegiate level. That is very, very specific. I mean, that's Jamel Elliott doesn't even fit those qualifications. She only has experience coaching at one university in a power five conference, UConn. She has everything else, but Shay Ralph didn't fit that mold. Most of UConn's past assistants haven't fit that mold. So kind of feels like they might have someone in mind already. I don't know who that would be. Again, we're probably going to find out after this comes out and this is going to sound very dumb, but That's a very high bar to reach, and I can't imagine there's a whole lot of people with those qualifications that are looking to become an assistant coach right now. Yeah, exactly. It's a very small subset of people that are even qualified based on those those standards for the job. So I'm interested to see who it is when it comes out, but a very small talent pool that they're looking at, I think. And I think it also kind of goes back to assuming that this job posting wasn't just the requirement where they have to post the job publicly for X amount of time, even though they have a candidate in mind. It also kind of feels like they're looking for someone rather experienced to bring in, not a younger head coach. I think Jasmine Lister was only a division one assistant coach for two years, if I'm not mistaken. So there's, they want someone with experience, obviously being a head coach is going to be interesting. Assuming they are a head coach, whoever they hire, because you're looking at a staff that has Gino, CD, Jamel Elliott, who has lots of experience as a head coach, and then another assistant coach on top of that with head coaching experience. So that's going to be a really good bench. And I feel like the biggest thing when you lose Shay Ralph, obviously she's a great coach and it'll, I'm really excited to see what she does at Vanderbilt, but the players always talked about how much they like having coaches that played at UConn because when Gino's on them or when CD's on them, that assistant coach, whether it was Shea or Jamel, would kind of be in their corner and they would understand what they were going through because they had gone through it themselves. So I think having that experience and knowing what these players are going through, it, it so I think it just makes sense to have this much experience, especially when you're going to have such a young team with, I think it's 10 freshmen and sophomores. So you don't want to have an inexperienced coaching staff and also an inexperienced team. If you can have a pretty solid coaching staff, that at least helps mitigate that youth on the team a little more. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You've got, like you said, a very young team. And then you're losing Shay Ralph, who was an experienced assistant with UConn and had been there for a while. So I think replacing that with experience makes a lot of sense. There's something interesting in The Athletic on they wrote about Shea Ralph being hired at Vanderbilt and they had a little nugget about how UConn and Stanford were recruiting the same player and Stanford went out because the player wanted a better academic school, which not that UConn isn't a good academic school because we both have degrees from there. I think we're both, we both know how good of a school it is, but it also can't compete with Stanford. And I think that's very fair to say, 
and Vanderbilt is a school that's very high on academics. So very curious who that player was. And also just in general, how often that happens to UConn where, yeah, you have a very good state school, but when you've got an offer to go to Stanford and have your entire tuition paid for, I have no idea what Stanford costs per year, but I imagine it is a lot of money. That's pretty tough to turn down on top of obviously Tara Vanderveer, now reigning national champions, a program that's been very good for 30 years now. So it does kind of make sense that UConn might be losing out on those battles. But at the same time, you look at the current roster, and I don't think they're losing too many of those battles. Yeah, exactly. There might be a couple players here and there that are definitely going to jump on that opportunity to go to a school like Stanford, which I mean, makes sense. It is a really, really strong academic school, but I I think it's fair to say that it's not hurting the the Huskies on the recruiting trail too much. So one of the top candidates we thought to be UConn's new assistant, where clearly looking at these qualifications, she most certainly was not. Jen Rosati takes the job of team president of the Connecticut Sun. That is a pretty good step up. I mean, if you're not going to be a coach, becoming a team president of a WNBA team in the state that you grew up in and went to college in, that is a pretty good stepping stone, I guess, from being a head coach. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a huge stepping stone um, going to be a team president. It's a, a huge front office position. And I think there's been some turnover in the Suns, you know, front office over this last season. A couple people left to go to roles in the NWSL. So I'm excited with kind of to see what comes from her with the team and to be back in Connecticut, I'm sure for her is exciting. So definitely interested to see how that pans out and what kind of changes she makes as she takes over that role. I, I'll be honest, I have absolutely no idea what a team president actually does. Is like that a basketball position? Is that a business position? Does it kind of straddle the middle between the two? Because if I'm not mistaken, Kurt Miller is the GM and head coach, right? Yes, he is. I do think it's a business position. I don't think it's on the coaching staff. Um, so I think it probably has a lot to do with not so much, you know, maybe the day-to-day operations in terms of drafting and things like that that the GM is responsible for, but I would have probably a lot of the business decisions and the way they do their marketing and that type of stuff. So I'm interested to see how it all goes from there. Okay, so I pulled up the release, as I probably should have done earlier, but it says that Rosati will be responsible for the overall business operations and marketing strategies of the Mohegan Tribe-owned WNBA franchise that plays its home games in Mohegan Sun. That <laughs> seems like a very weird way to dis- that's correct yeah. on how to describe them, but it just feels very that's like a Jeopardy question, honestly. Generazati is the president of this WNBA team that is owned by the Mohegan tribe and plays its home game in Mohegan Sun Arena for the <laughs> Connecticut Sun. Correct. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) Yeah, definitely some weird phrasing there, but (laughs) we were correct on the business side. So that is a bit of an interesting shift anyways, that she goes from coaching into the business, but it's also not that unusual. I feel like it's a classic move, probably in baseball, where you have this long-term manager that you really need to fire, but you don't want to fire them. So you quote, transition them into a front office role. So it's not that unusual to shift someone around in the organization. Obviously, Rosati's coming from outside, but I'm sure she at least has a pretty decent grasp on the women's basketball world. WNBA is a different animal than college, but 
that's just seems like a very fitting position for her. if She's not going to continue coaching, at least in this time. Sticking with the WNBA, Brianna Stewart recently won the EuroLeague Championship with UMMC Russian city name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Ekaterinburg, Ekaterinburg, something. Am, am I way off on that one? I'm not sure, to be honest, though. I just tried to Google it, and they Google knows that they won the championship because there's fireworks playing on my screen. <laughs> anyway, oh, nice. Uh... <laughs> well, either way, Brianna Stewart won the EuroLeague, and tell me if you've heard this one before. She was named the most outstanding player of the Final Four of the tournament, something that she's gotten pretty good at doing at this point in her career. It's just, honestly, at this point, laughable that basically whenever Brianna Stewart's on the court at full health, she's winning a championship in whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, there we go again. Stewie wins another championship and oh, another MVP award too. So and she just continues, I think, to dominate as we saw in her, you know, before her Achilles injury and she's definitely come back from that and continued to. So definitely great to see that. And plenty of UConn influence too in the final four. UMMC beat CB Avenida, who had Katie Lou Samuelson and Tiffany Hayes, along with Lou's sister Carly. Avenida beat Shopron Basket, I think is the way you pronounce it, who had Gabby Williams and Megan Walker. Gabby Williams was actually named the All EuroLeague Defensive Player of the Year, made the first team. Katie Lou Samuelson also made the first team. Somehow, I don't really know how Brianna Stewart only made the second team. Either way, I feel like. Lou making the first team is a pretty huge development. And I feel like the storm are kind of banking on that development carrying over into the WNBA because she's entering year three in the league. Hasn't really gotten her feet underneath her professionally until going over to Europe this year. So maybe the storm can finally get it out of her and playing with Stewie and all that can help her carve out a better role in the WNBA compared to what she's had her first two years. Yeah, I think honestly, it's probably huge for both Lou and Gabby that they've kind of had the success abroad. Gabby's done well in the WNBA, but she hasn't been you know, a consistent starter or great for the sky. So I think kind of being defensive player of the year for EuroLeague, that's a big accomplishment. So hopefully we'll see some of that translate in the WNBA this summer. And then, yeah, I think with Lou, especially with, you know, Seattle traded the number one pick in this year's draft to, to have her on their roster. And I'm sure the way she's been playing in EuroLeague factored majorly into that. And I think they're, I'm sure, hoping to capitalize on the, the success she's had abroad and translate that to the WNBA this summer. So I'm excited to see what she looks like for them. It's obviously not a perfect comparison, but it will be kind of interesting seeing how Lou does compared to a former UConn commit, Charlie Collier, who ended up being the number one pick in the WNBA draft. So pretty funny that even when players don't come to UConn, they still end up as the number one pick in the WNBA draft. (laughs) So clearly the coaching staff knew what they were doing when they tried to get her to come to UConn. She ended up committing, I believe it was after her father died. She just wanted to be closer to home. So she picked Texas instead of UConn. It's probably not fair to compare the two careers, how they go from here, but the storm clearly weren't very high on anyone in this draft or they're very high on Lou. So, so this will just be another interesting season to follow UConn players in the WA and WNBA, especially considering what, like three fourths of them, half of them are on two teams, Seattle and Phoenix. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And going back to the thing with Lou too, I think part of it is also what Seattle needs. And I think they really needed a three-point shooter. And obviously they're hoping Lou can give them that. And when you look at the top of this year's draft class, I don't really know that there's many players in there that are really proven three-point shooters. So I think from that perspective as well, it kind of makes sense that they they traded that pick. And then just the fact that I think overall, it's pretty fair to say that this is a expected to be a weaker WNBA draft class. So I don't think it's super surprising that they decided to try to get Lou versus, you know, one of these draft picks, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out during the season or even just in the coming weeks with, with training camps coming up and who from that draft class and from these other players that are fighting to first spots on the roster actually end up on rosters for opening night. We are going to take a quick ad break. And when we come back, we're going to finally get through our season in review. We're back. So very, very bizarre year that we just finished with, as I think we've talked about a lot. Obviously, the pandemic hung over the entire season, felt like the schedule was constantly changing. The season just across the country didn't even begin until late December. UConn didn't play its first game until December 12th because of that initial shutdown. Ended up playing 30 games still, which... I believe was two less than last season. So when you think about last year was a full year and you just didn't get the NCAA tournament, it was really a five game difference this year, more or less all those games, those non-conference games that you miss in November. Should we start with the good or the bad? Let's start with the good. Be positive. Okay. <laughs> the good. They finished 28 and two reached the final four. I probably a little unexpectedly, I don't want to say unexpectedly because they'd been there 13, 12 consecutive times before the season. But when you have a team consisting of six freshmen turning into seven freshmen with three of those freshmen playing huge roles and no seniors, I feel like there's probably one program in the country that you get to the final four and it's still like, yeah, okay, this makes sense. UConn's still in the final four. Anywhere else that would have been a massive achievement and just getting to the final four would have been a great stepping stone. And for UConn, the way the season ended was still a dismal failure because that's the expectations that they've set and that's the expectation the fan bases have. But even still, getting to the Final Four was pretty impressive. Not losing a Big East game, definitely improving as the season went on and returning almost every single player from this roster. So I feel like the good most certainly outweighed the bad this year. What was one thing that stood out to you as the good from this season? Well, this is the obvious answer, but I mean, Paige Becker's (laughs) just the amount of hype she had coming in. I think we were both obviously very wrong at the beginning of the season when we, you know, were debating whether she'd be in the starting lineup and didn't really think she could live up to that hype. And then she goes on to just totally exceed it. So I think a a huge part of just why this team was able to have the success that they had the season, why this team only loses one game in the regular season, how they make it to the final four. Right. Yeah. That's no hot take there. That's very clear. Before we get down into the individual player-by-player breakdowns, some of the bad three-point shooting just never figured itself out. Wasn't the worst three-point shooting team in the country, like Gino said they were earlier in the season. But really, Paige Beckers was the only one that could hit consistently. And when he removed her from the equation, UConn dropped from having, I think, somewhere around like the 70th best three-point shooting team in the country. I think they led the Big East in three-point shooting, which is asinine. But you remove Beckers from the equation and they dropped pretty substantially in those rankings. That never figured itself out. What were some other issues that you felt were kind of persistent throughout the entire year? 
I mean, I think free throw shooting as well, something else they struggled with, struggled with. They only shot 71% from the line, which is just about the middle of the country. So kind of left a lot of free points on the line there. And I think in some situations, you know, we saw that cause some closer games than expected. I feel like those are the two things that really stand out. Other than that, I think the thing is just in the front court with the front court was really solid against smaller opponents, but we just saw them struggle, I think, when they had to face up against a lot of size. Well, even Baylor, they kind of held their own. They didn't score a ton, but they weren't completely dominated or overwhelmed. But yeah, when the front court didn't play well, UConn lost. It was really that easy. Well, I don't want to say that because Aaliyah Edwards actually played very well in that Arkansas lost and I think for a time, UConn had five freshmen out there in that Arkansas game that kept them in the game. Really, when the front court wasn't there, UConn definitely was a different team, which I think is kind of obvious. But that also feels like one of the reasons they brought in Dorka, hoping that maybe she can bring some consistency to that front court. Not that you ever want anyone to have a bad night, but they can at least afford it a little more when you have Olivia Nelson, Adota, and Aaliyah Edwards, who's going to be a year better. You also have Dorka adding into that mix. So you have three really good front court players. That feels like an area that should be more solid next year. But again, it's one of those things that until we see it in action and they actually prove themselves against a team with size, that's good. I'm not totally sure I'm going to be sold on it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we saw a lot this season that the guards on this team are really, really good and they can carry this team really far, but to win at the highest level, they need that front court to be good as well. And I think that's going to be a really important thing going into next season. They've got the pieces there to hopefully get there. So it's just a matter of how it all comes together. I think another one, another negative, at least before the NCAA tournament, UConn never really had a second consistent scoring option emerge behind Paige Beckers. Almost in every single game, it was Beckers leading the scoring or being the number two in scoring. And it always felt like a different player a lot of times it was either Olivia Nelson, Adota, Kristen Williams, or Vina Westbrook, but it was never anyone on a consistent basis. It kind of cycled through. And by the time the NCAA tournament came around, I think Kristen Williams really proved herself in that Iowa game as that secondary option or even a primary option sometimes. But then the issue kind of compounded further where, okay, you have two players that can score the ball when you need them to, but you can't only have two players scoring the ball. They didn't have that third option, just really any of those secondary options to help them out. So I feel like we didn't see it a ton against Big East teams where they didn't have to outscore them or keep up. But especially in that Arizona game, it sticks out that those other scoring options behind Beckers and Williams just weren't there on a consistent basis. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Williams definitely stepped it up in the postseason and kind of if she can continue to play at that level, UConn's going to be, you know, better next season than they were in this regular season. But I think part of that comes back to the front court issues, right? Is that you look at, you know, these games where Olivia or Aaliyah are putting up, you know, 15, 20 points and then they struggle in like the Arizona game and some other games where UConn has the harder time and kind of it all ties together. Um, and I think also, of course, you have AZ Fudd joining this team next year. So that hopefully will eliminate some of that problem as well. AZ Fudd, you may have heard of her. One of UConn's incoming recruits. I'm sure we won't spend too much time discussing her. But to get into the player-by-player breakdowns, obviously the first one to start with is Paige Beckers. And as you mentioned earlier, we were a little off base. But in our defense, in our defense, I don't really know if anyone could have predicted her being this good her being a national player of the year a 
consensus All-American, having the best freshman season in program history, even I think the highest expectations. I went back and looked at my previews from the beginning of the season. By the end of the preseason, I had jumped on the page backers hype train and felt that she was going to be really good. And I think I wrote that she was going to have one of the best freshman seasons in program history, but wasn't going to be better than Maya Moore. And she was better than Maya Moore, which is just an incredibly high bar. There's only been, I think, six players ever in program history that have averaged 20 points per game or higher. And she is now one of them. 20 points per game, shot 46% from three, set the program freshman record for assists, set the assist record in a single game against Butler. She just did it all for this team this year. And I really think we've just run out of superlatives at this point of the year of what we can say about her. Our Tucker Warner, one of our coworkers at the blog made a comment that yeah, really good analysis on page of season, but what you, what you really could have said was, come on, you all saw it. I feel like that sums up page of season pretty well. Everyone who's listening to this saw page play. I feel like we don't really need to go into the nitty gritty about what made her so good. Come on. You all saw it. Yeah, exactly. She's just was phenomenal. I mean, like you said, there's, we're really running out of ways to just describe how good her season was. And I think it's been a couple of weeks that I still like to process the fact, like how good the season has been is it's hard to process because it really was that good. And then to go on and just win all those national player of the year awards, I think it's pretty clear, but for anyone that's, you know, doesn't have a bias against UConn, she was the best player in the country. I think the number that sticks out to me the most is that she led the country in win share. She had 12.9 win shares this season, which is like an estimate of how many wins she contributed to UConn season. So that's a pretty high amount. And that's, you know, two and a half win shares higher than any other player in the country. So it wasn't particularly close. And you've got players in there like Melissa Smith from Baylor and Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina that were also in that discussion that are, you know, two, three win shares below her and they played three more games. So it's just, it's really incredible how much she did for this team this season. Right. There were games where it was basically all page that South Carolina game in particular at the end, it was only page. There was nobody else scoring. And I still have that graphic from ESPN burned in my brain where games decided by single digits for UConn. This was before the NCAA tournament. So I don't know what it ended up being with the Baylor game. Beckers had scored 24 of UConn's 30 points in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime. I think she had gone like five of five from three and nine of 10 overall from the floor. Those are just stupid numbers. And the fact that they're happening at the end of games in close games, she just has this clutch gene that you can't teach. And a lot of players don't have it. She just gets better when the game is on the line. And for that reason alone, I thought she was going to be able to single-handedly bring the title back to UConn. Obviously that didn't happen, but it definitely was not Paige. Paige was definitely not the reason why UConn lost to Arizona. Exactly. And then she's just, she's also only a freshman. Like, it's just so hard to try to think about how good she's going to be next year or the year after that. She's already so good. And like Gina said, there's definitely places where she can improve, but I mean, just such a, such a phenomenal season. And then she's only going to get better from here. Looking ahead to next year, how do you see that playing out? Because I feel like with everyone on the team getting better, she's not going to have to carry as much of the scoring load. She's not going to need to score 30 points on a rather consistent basis, especially in big games. 
Kristen Williams should be a more consistent player next year. At least you'd have to hope that she's going to be a more consistent player offensively next season. Easy Fudge should be a key piece in the rotation. I feel like Caroline Ducharm is going to mix in. Who knows what Aubrey Griffin or Mir McLean or even Nika Mule could look like in terms of scoring next season. So I feel like it's going to be a much better surrounding cast. And Gino did say that she has a lot to improve on both on and off the court after the Arizona game. But like you said, it's just so hard to imagine what that could be because this season that she had is probably better than, I don't know, 95, 97% of every single division one season in history. She was just so good this year. It almost feels impossible that she could get better, even though obviously she can. Yeah, I think the biggest area is to look for her to improve is, I mean, on the offensive end, she's already so good, but I think changing the way she shoots the ball a little bit, she tends to do a lot of spot-up shooting, maybe creating her own shots some more, looking for more of that from her. But like you said, the load on her is going to be less next year on the offensive end. I think the biggest area for her to improve is defensively. I think as good as she was on the offensive end, she was probably one of the weaker links on the defensive end for this team, which was still really solid defensively. I think that's down the stretch of the season, so... By no means a liability on defense, but I think definitely a lot of room for her to improve as an on-ball defender and just as a defender in general. Right. I think it's easy to look at her team leading 66 steals and go, oh, well, she was clearly very good defensively. And she was good at getting in the passing lanes and taking the ball from other teams. But like you said, that on-ball defense lagged behind at times. Her foot speed could be slow. UConn very clearly kept her away from opposing team's best players. She was almost never on the likes of Ari McDonald or Caitlin Clark or even some of the better players in the Big East like Selena Lott. I feel like defensively is probably where we'll see it the most. I also just feel like there were times where she tried to be, I don't know if too fancy is the word, but she just tried to force passes where they weren't necessarily there, fit them into too tight of windows and turned it over too much. She also led the team in turnovers. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that she had the ball in her hands the most. And she led the team in assists too by over 40. So that's definitely a big part of it. But I still feel like there's room for her to cut down on those turnovers. A lot of them I felt were unnecessary. And you're always going to turn the ball over. That's just nothing you can escape. But you can at least limit them and not have bad turnovers. And just, I feel like she could play a little smarter maybe be a little more selfish or just not try and be not try and make the difficult things look so easy when you can make the easy things look easy. Yeah, exactly. I think there's as much as her turnover numbers aren't bad considering how much the number, the ball was in her hand. I mean, her assisted turnover ratio isn't like the top 2% in the country, but there's definitely turnovers she made and decisions she made kind of typical freshman mistakes that she can definitely clean up going forward. And that's just going to make her even better. You know, that assisted turnover rate could be in the top 1%, the top 10 of the country, things like that. So things are she's already good at, but she can just get even better at. Moving down the list, we're going by going down the list by who played the most minutes during the season. Number two, unsurprisingly is Kristen Williams, pretty much a tale of, I guess, three seasons for her. She started out the year pretty much until I guess, February, it was a bit of a step up from her sophomore year, but it was still the same old, same old where some games she'd be on other games. She would score zero points. She'd contribute in other ways, but didn't necessarily do that on a consistent basis. And then that St. John's game, that second game against St. John's where she shuts down the Milani Correa and starts to become this defensive stopper for UConn. And I think we saw that pretty consistently throughout the rest of the year. Obviously 
had some trouble with Ari McDonald, but in her defense, I don't really think anyone in college basketball ever figured out how to slow down Ari McDonald. So that wasn't a Kristen Williams problem. That was just Ari McDonald is extremely good at basketball problem. So I think that is a massive development in her game. As I've said before, something that I really never expected out of her because she'd always been a offense first player, a player that scores a lot of points. You almost never thought about her defense and never would have expected her to become a shutdown defender. And then third part of the season would be from the sweet 16 on when it seemed like she finally turned the corner that we had been waiting three years for on the offensive end, where as Gino said, she looked like the player that they saw in high school. She was aggressive. She scored at will at times. She could score in a variety of ways. She was just arguably UConn's best player for stretches. And that says a lot more about Kristen Williams than it said about Paige Beckers. So averaged 16.3 points per game, only shot 34% from three. But overall, a mixed bag, but she definitely ended the season on a high note. Yeah, I don't think you can say enough about, you know, how good Kristen Williams was for this team in the postseason. As much as Paige Beckers is a huge reason they got to the Final Four, so is Kristen Williams. And the two of them really just kind of were very clearly the best players on the court down the stretch for, for UConn here. And I think the biggest thing with Kristen Williams is, like you said, it was inconsistent a bit at the start of the season, but then she really seemed to lock in down the stretch. And if we can get the Kristen Williams that you saw in the you know, the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament this season, kind of all season long next season, I mean, UConn already has one of the best backcourts in the country. This isn't really anything surprising, but just like the pair of her and Paige Becker is, is really an insane pair. What are you thinking about if she plays at that level? You basically have two players that are playing at like a national player of the year caliber level in your backcourt, plus all the other pieces that they have. And then, you know, we'll get to the front court later, but it's going to be really huge for them. And I think something definitely clicked for her in the postseason. So as long as she can keep that going into next season, she should have a really solid senior year. It's the same thing with the front court where I thought she really looked like she did turn a corner in that sweet 16 game. And she showed it those final three games of the season, but now you have the off season and you go into next year. And until she's playing like this on a consistent basis next year, probably into December, I still feel like I have a really hard time banking on that and expecting her to do it on a consistent basis, just because so much of her career has been defined by looking really good and feeling like she's finally made that next step and then coming back down to earth the next game or a few games later. Again, it really did look like a different Kristen Williams in that NCAA tournament, but it is a long, long time until November. A lot can happen in between then. I think she'll probably still look that good when it comes around. I'm just not super confident about that right now. So if she can, like you said, she's a national player of the year type player. She's most certainly an All-American type player. It can't be only those two next season because as we saw against Arizona, it was only those two and UConn really was never in that game. But if you have those two as a starting point at the beginning of the year, especially considering how far this team developed throughout the course of the season, that is a very good foundation for UConn to build off. Yeah, exactly. It's a really, really solid foundation and a foundation that's going to be enough for them to win probably most games on their schedule, but they're going to need more. I think when you look at, you know, your NCAA tournament type games, your big time opponents that from the non-conference that we hopefully get to see with a normal schedule next year, but it's a solid foundation. And 
as much as it'll take some games next season to prove that Krista Williamson's going to continue at that level, I think I have more faith that she's going to continue playing like that, and we're going to see that all of next season from her than I do in the the front court being really solid all the time. Yeah, I agree with that because it's a smaller sample size for Kristen Williams, but this is also a higher peak, and it was against the best teams on their schedule, the three of the toughest games that they had, whereas all we've really ever seen from the front court was during lesser teams, smaller teams, essentially Big East teams. So it feels like Williams has just proven it a little more at this point than the front court has. If you had to guess, who do you think played the third most minutes on the team? Can I go with Athena Westbrook? Yep. And by a pretty wide margin too. So she played 920 minutes. For reference, Paige played 1,049 minutes. Kristen Williams was two minutes away from 1,000. Avina was 920 and the next closest is Olivia Nelson Adota at 783. So almost 150 point difference, which is a pretty wide gap. But Avina Westbrook, obviously coming back next season, was more or less a Swiss Army knife for UConn. She only averaged 9.4 points a game, but we saw that she could score when UConn needed her to throughout most of the season. Second on the team in assists by a pretty healthy margin. Second on the team in steals. Fourth on the team in blocks, which is kind of surprising. Aubrey Griffin had 23 blocks on the season. Considering the minutes she played, that's pretty incredible. She also shot the three ball relatively well. She had a very good start of the year. She had a bad middle of the year, and she finished the year pretty strong. So I feel like Avino Westbrook is probably the player that has the most defined role going into next season, which is almost exactly the same thing. The biggest difference is, I think she's probably going to play fewer than 30 minutes per game just because of everyone they're going to have in the backcourt. And I think she's probably going to score the ball less again because of everyone they're going to have. Whatever Avina does on the stat sheet isn't really representative of who she is as a player. So as long as she's still just doing whatever the team needs on a consistent basis, that's really all you can, can ask of her. Yeah, exactly. I think we've talked about this a lot, but I think the way she does a little bit of everything kind of it's it's a different thing every game, but it's what UConn needs. And I think that's that's huge for this team. And then I won't go into it too much because I think we probably hammered it at home last week or the week before when she just decided that she was going to come back for her senior year. But I think the biggest thing from Westbrook is the leadership that she's going to bring this team, both on and off the court, is just going to be huge. We've talked about how young this team is, how many freshmen and sophomores they're going to have. And even sophomores that have been with the team for a program, we've got, they haven't had like a normal first year of college yet. So it's going to be kind of the first, hopefully assuming things are normal by the fall, you know, their first also like normal college experience type year too. So there's going to be a a big need for leadership on this team and her being back is going to be huge for that. Right. I've actually never thought of that point of actual college because this year it was so I guess sterilized and they were all more or less locked in their apartments all season long obviously a lot more distractions next season even just going to class is going to be a completely different thing for these players I remember asking I think it was Aaliyah Edwards at some point during the year what it was like with online classes and or maybe it was Avina about how they Avina and like Kristen Williams and Olivia know what a normal college experience is because they've experienced it whereas the freshmen don't so I think it was Avina was saying that it's a little beneficial just because you can really take all your classes. You don't have to spend the 20, 30, even 40 minutes walking to and from classes every day. You can just be either in the gym or in the 
practice facility in your apartment. You don't have to go anywhere when you're done, you're done. So that'll be different. I imagine it'll be more of a social aspect next year, which is obviously a good thing since the players were only really allowed to see their teams this year, but yeah, it's just another factor. And like you said, it's just huge having Westbrook back to handle that. And also just to integrate this freshman class into a team that's proven itself to be very close knit because of everything they went through this year. And I think that's going to be something that's important too, that it's not going to be all the returners and then also a group of the freshmen. So I think Westbrook will do what she does and help integrate those players into the team. So it's one collective unit instead of maybe two or three different groups. Yeah, exactly. From that perspective as well, just this team has obviously been so close because they've spent pretty much every waking minute together for the last year or so. So being able to make that integration with the the new class of freshmen and then everything you said about, you know, just how much their college experience is going to change as things start to return to normal. Moving on, Aliyah Edwards probably had one of the better freshman seasons of any player in recent memory, but just got overshadowed by Paige Beckers, really. I remember there the comparisons to Nafisa Collier at the beginning of the season, where I think Kristen Williams made it in the first part. And I don't really feel like the FISA comparison is great with Edwards just because they're different players. But Edwards' stats pretty much blew Collier's out of the water compared to their freshman year. She averaged double figures, 10.7 points per game, led the nation with a 68.9% shooting percentage, which is incredibly impressive as a freshman. 29 blocks on the air was just an absolute force in the paint and is just a very different type of big than UConn's had. Really, there were games where she totally dominated and other teams had absolutely no answer for her. Yeah, exactly. I think with the way she plays inside and how physical she is, I think I've used the term that she just kind of bullies players inside yep. quite a bit this season. But um, yeah, most teams don't have an answer for her. I think that's that's fair to say. I think there's very few teams in the country that really do have an answer for her. And I think we even saw that in the NCAA tournament outside of Baylor, how many teams really had a strong answer for her, for her playing that many. So um, that's going to be huge. And she's only going to get better too, right? She's only a freshman. So that's going to improve as time goes on. Um, so yeah, just a really impressive freshman season. I think someone that definitely just didn't really get on the national scene, probably because of Paige, but a player that I think playing anywhere else in the country as a freshman would have been in a big conversation as, you know, if we're talking about who should be national freshman of the year, it would have been Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, and Aaliyah Edwards had she played somewhere else. So it's a really, really solid first year from her. Not to carry on the FISA comparison too much, but looking at where FISA was as a freshman, an okay freshman year wasn't anything super special, but then over that season into her sophomore year became one of the best players in the country. If Aaliyah Edwards makes that type of jump, that is just a terrifying thought. I don't even know if I could put that into words and even Gino made the comment like like had to kind of take a step back and be like man she was this good this year what's she gonna look like as a junior or a senior she's gonna be a very scary player in short order and especially if she can develop an outside game more because that was something that I thought was gonna be more prominent than it was her being more of a factor on the perimeter she started to get a better jump shot as the season went on but can you imagine if she can step out hit a three get the ball on the three-point line and drive to the rim like take a risk on take a charge on Aaliyah Edwards at your own risk you're probably going to break some bones so her potential beyond Paige 
I don't really know if there's anyone higher in terms of who can be completely dominant because if she can develop the way we think she can based on what we've seen so far, there might not actually be anyone in the country that is going to be able to handle her once she has an array of post moves and can keep the foul trouble intact and can step out, be more of a vertical threat from the basket. So yeah, her potential is just scary to think about. Oh yeah. I mean, if she makes a, a jump like Nafisa Collier did between her freshman and sophomore years, just like best of luck to every other team in the country, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we all, I mean, Nafisa was an all American her sophomore year. Right. So, and she didn't have quite nearly the starting point that Aliyah Edwards had this season. So you can only imagine how good she would be if she made a similar jump. We accidentally skipped over Olivia Nelson and Dota unintentionally, but Nelson and Dota 12 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game if anything her numbers actually dropped across the board but that seemed less to do with nelson adota's play than probably Leah edwards being more in the mix because objectively across the entire season olivia nelson adota was much better this season than she was as a sophomore but similar to that baylor game as a, during her sophomore campaign that arizona game is going to stick with her for a long time and it honestly might be something that she can never fully escape yeah exactly i think tale of two seasons with her with you know when they played biggest opponents and smaller opponents she was really really good and really dominant this season but when they played the bigger opponents she just continued to struggle maybe not quite as much as last season but that still still was a problem i think that's the biggest thing you have to look for in the offseason is can she make that jump and be a consistent kind of threat for uconn in the post even when they play those bigger teams I think that's kind of the thing that's held back UConn's front court these past couple seasons and what UConn really needs from her in the offseason or to change in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, this year was weird. And just across the board, I don't really feel like there was a ton of development last summer with how things panned out. But at this point in her career, maybe she'll prove me wrong, but I just don't see her really making that leap into becoming an All-American type post player just because there hasn't been the consistency throughout her entire career and not even against the Baylors of the world, but she even would struggle sometimes when opposing teams had someone who just had any sort of height, not even a good player with height, just someone that was in the same zip code as her. So I think bringing in Dorka is probably a way of just letting Nelson Adota focus more on being a point forward than being a scoring forward she's still going to get points and she's still going to be able to dominate these smaller teams. But when they play teams, the likes of Baylor or South Carolina, those good teams with the good bigs, I think they're going to rely less on her to try and score and just ask her more to distribute in the post, which is something that we've seen from her during this NCAA tournament. We saw that against Baylor. I don't think at this point you can rely on her to score in these big games. And I think that's a big reason why Dorcas here. If Olivia Nelson, Adota averaged 15 points per game and put up, well, if she put up 15 points against Arkansas, they would have won. But it, if she didn't have these big dips in these big games, maybe Dorka still comes, but I feel like that probably doesn't happen. I feel like they'd be much more confident riding Nelson Adota. And I think it just says a lot that they're bringing in another big, even though they already have Nelson Adota and Edwards. And it's not really a player that is going to eat into Edwards minutes. Yeah, exactly. I think 
I don't think there's a lot of questions about Aaliyah Edwards, right? Like, I think for what, as a freshman, what she did was really impressive, I think. But there are questions about what you're going to get from Olivia Nelson and Dota in those big games. And it's something that's holding UConn back from kind of, you know, being that national championship team. So you bring in a player like Dorka, you've got now another player that can play some of those minutes when she's struggling. And I think that's going to be big for this UConn team. But I think Olivia Nelson-Dota needs to make kind of a bigger leap in this offseason to to keep her minutes. If she's going to keep those minutes that we've seen her play this past season, I think she's got to make a bigger jump this offseason. Yeah, I agree. And only 26 minutes per game, so it's not like she was playing a whole lot to begin with. Going down the list, Nika Mule played the six most minutes on the team despite only playing in 23 games. Missed seven with injury. Lots of foot and ankle injuries throughout the year, which is a little bit concerning. But again, another player with a really solid freshman year. She had some trouble at the beginning of the year, cracking into the lineup, eventually made her way in and became one of the team's most important players, helped them turn around defensively, and also just took some of the point guard load off from Paige Beckers. So I feel like once she got going, it was pretty much the exact type of player that we had heard about and was kind of what I was expecting out of her, really. Yeah, I feel like Nika's a classic case of, like, her stats are really not flashy when you look at her stats for the year, but what she brought to this team on the defensive end is just so important. I think she was, you know, when she moved into the starting lineup, it was a big part of their defensive turnaround, and just she just brings an energy and an attitude on defense that's really helps this team. I think it, we saw it missing, definitely, in the NCAA tournament when she was out with that injury. You could, you could tell she was missing from the lineup. Um, so I think on that end of the floor, that's where she's been really, really solid for this team. And then on the offensive end, she hasn't scored a ton of points, but she's definitely been able to be a big part of the facilitating on the offensive end. So I think as that, you know, her she'll get more used to that going into her, her sophomore season as well. So my guess is, honestly, she probably plays about the same amount of minutes next year just because there's just so many pieces coming into this lineup. But um I think a really solid presence for UConn and her at her attitude and her edge on the defensive end is going to earn her keeping in those minutes. Right. I kind of have trouble figuring out Mule's role for next season. Cause like you said, they don't have anyone that fits her mold that can really replace what she does. And even Gino said, they're a very different team when she's on the court. I think it all just comes down to how they're going to juggle those minutes. And can you justify playing a player like Mule who, maybe won't give you a ton scoring wise, but can still contribute to baskets and assists and is also going to like, not everything comes through in points scored. If she has five assists, that's the same thing as 10 points. And something that's much less quantifiable is how she's playing on defense, how many points she's saving on that end. But again, they just have so many backcourt players that I wonder if maybe she gets squeezed out a little bit or, or something. It's just for me, I have a tough time trying to pick out what it's going to look like for her next season. But I still think she's, I don't think she has any threat of losing her spot in the rotation or anything like that. I just think maybe her role might be a little smaller because yeah, she only averaged 24 points per game, 24 minutes per game this season. She was pretty consistently at 30, 35 minutes when she was healthy towards the end of the season. So I feel like maybe she'll still average 24 minutes per game, but it'll be much more of a balanced 24 minutes per game in that every game is 24 instead of like early in the year, she was probably getting like five, 10 minutes and the end of the year, she was getting 35. So I I feel like it'll be more consistent, but maybe around the same number. 
Yeah, I think another big part of that is going to be how her shooting develops in the the off season. I think she shot pretty well from three this season, around thirty four percent. So not great, but also not horrible. I think we saw it a couple games. She had you know a few three pointers and was able to kind of help get the team going offensively. So if she can, I think, be more of a knockdown three point shooter, maybe something a little bit more like what Anamakara was in her freshman year, where she could come in and you know hit knock down a couple big threes in a game that could earn her kind of a little bit more minutes too as well they can count on her for that in addition to her defense right and that's another thing is we don't know what her development's going to look like this summer because that Creighton game we saw that she can hit the three and she can score so if she's going to become a player that she doesn't necessarily need to be a 15 20 points per game type player but is she going to at least be a threat to score out there be a solid fourth or fifth option on top of having the passing on top of having the defense yeah then at that point i think she's probably going to be playing the third most minutes in the backcourt or maybe even still the fourth most minutes behind beckers westbrook and williams but she's still going to be very much on the court for most of the game and is going to be a hard player to knock out speaking of people that are going to have a very interesting offseason. Aubrey Griffin. So I think we can pretty comfortably say that she was better as a sophomore compared to her freshman year. Less volatility, I guess, but she still really held the same role as a spark plug off the bench, disruptor on defense, hit the boards. And I think it all kind of comes back to last offseason where they really didn't have a normal offseason. There wasn't a whole lot of player development. I'm still very high on Aubrey Griffin she has the athleticism. She's shown that she can take over games scoring wise. She just needs to refine her skill set. And we also saw her scoring ability develop this season. That shouldn't be overlooked. There were a lot of times where she would post up, get the ball, make a move and get to the basket. It didn't happen super consistently, but it was definitely something we didn't see in the past. She went three for 20 from three. So showed she's willing to take threes. If she can improve on that to at least get it to maybe 30%. So not great, but you at least pose a threat to teams out there. That makes it a lot easier to beat them on the drive. And as we saw a lot more during her freshman year, I feel like Aubrey Griffin doesn't need very much to beat players on the drive. So kind of feels like if we were grading the players, Aubrey should almost get an incomplete just because, yeah, I think we probably at least I probably had expectations too high for her coming out of this year. She was a better player. I think this offseason is going to be really crucial to see if she's going to take that next step or if she's just always going to be a spark plug off the bench, which is fine. But I think this is going to be the offseason that decides it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think my expectations were definitely too high for her going into this year. I think I might have said that she could have been like defensive player of the year in our preseason podcast. So that was obviously a bit of a stretch, but I do think with a normal offseason, hopefully we're going to see some more development from her this year and that she can kind of grow that that role a little bit. I think especially when we've talked about, you know, the front court isn't as solid as maybe, you know, UConn's back court, like finding minutes in that back court is going to be tough next season. But in the front court where there's not as many proven pieces, she definitely has an opportunity to make more minutes for herself and make a bigger role for herself. So interested to see what she can do in this offseason to develop as a scorer and then also as a defender and maybe earn some more minutes going into next season. Right. And she's also just such a unique player on the roster. It's really her and Mir McLean that fit into a similar mold. No one else besides those two can do what they do. So yeah, you have a lot of backcourt pieces. You have a pretty good amount of frontcourt pieces, 
but those two kind of fit into their own category, which I think is a benefit to them. And again, I don't think Aubrey needs to be a 20 point scorer per game, but she averaged 6.2 points per game this season. She had some stretches where she was in double digits pretty consistently. I feel like if she's even just somewhere around like 10 points per game, 11 points per game, that's probably a pretty sizable bump and means she's probably getting pretty consistent playing time. So if there's just more consistency next season and a more refined offensive skill set, I think that's a pretty good sign of development and it definitely points her in the right direction. She doesn't necessarily need to be a superstar next year. She had, I, I still really strongly feel like she has that potential. It's really just a matter of how far she can come along this off season. And I guess also just a matter of how often she's going to get the ball too, because she could make those changes in our offensive game and be a lot better and be a force. And she could still be a six, seventh scoring option. And most of her points come off offensive rebounds just because those are the opportunities that she gets. So very interesting off season for her and another player who doesn't necessarily have a clear role for next season, but we'll definitely have an opportunity to be out there on a We don't need to spend too much time on her. Obviously she's trans not transferring out. She's going pro in Europe signed with an agent today. Just a disappointing year coming off such a great freshman campaign. I still wonder how much those injuries, that stress fracture affected her at the beginning of the season before she got shut down. And then once she came back, she missed 12 games. She couldn't do a whole lot while she was out because because of that because of that stress fracture so she just was never able to get going i still feel like she probably could have made an impact without that injury but she's gonna go turn pro it's not a matter of her not being able to play at uconn because she already proved that she could i think it's probably just better for everyone for her to move on to the next part of her career yeah exactly we've said it a hundred times already on this podcast but there's not a lot of minutes to go around in that backcourt next year so i think the move makes sense for her. Excited to see what she does abroad playing next season. And um, yeah, I think a disappointing season for her with the injury after what we saw from her her freshman year. I was excited to see what she would do this season. Next, Mir McLean. Very interesting year. She started the year getting pretty consistent minutes, seeing the court relatively often each game and made a decent impact when she was out there she was really good on the offensive boards as i'm sure you have the numbers made an impact defensively had some big charges throughout the course of the year but her playing time really dipped as the season went on only played 167 minutes all season long and for reference Anna Makarat had 327 minutes throughout the entire year so she wasn't quite a full end of the bench player but she wasn't in the rotation either. She was kind of in a weird space and she's in the same boat as Aubrey Griffin, where this is going to be a very important season in her development. And that athleticism is there, but she's definitely very raw. And I think she's more raw than Aubrey Griffin was even when Aubrey Griffin arrived at UConn. So there's a long way for her to go, but as we've seen in the past, players can make big leaps in the the off season. And I think she's definitely a under the radar type player for next season. Yeah. I I would agree with that. And going back to her offensive rebounding, she had an offensive rebound rate of 18.8%. So that means when she was on the floor uh, and if UConn's opponents or if UConn missed their own shots, she, she came up with the rebound 18 over 18% of the time. So that's really high. It was six in the country, which is really, really, really impressive. Um, so obviously something that's her athleticism, a huge part of her skill set. I think, like you said, though, 
more raw than Aubrey Griffin was coming into this to the season. And you know, but her role was type somewhat similar to Griffin's in that she came off the bench as a spark plug and crashed the offensive glass. So I think a lot of things we said about what we're looking from Aubrey Griffin's game to develop in the in the offseason is probably true for Mary McLean as well. She definitely has a longer way to go than Griffin does, but I think overall kind of looking for similar things and again, a player that, you know, Aubrey Griffin and her really are the only two people on the team that have that skill set. So there's definitely opportunity for them to work their way into the rotation. Unlike Griffin, I don't feel like this is going to necessarily be a make or break off season just because this year, obviously it's a very loaded roster, very top heavy, but Kristen Williams, Avina Westbrook, Olivia Nelson, Adota, or assuming they're not going to use their COVID year, are probably going to head to the WNBA. Dorka Juhas could leave early if she wanted to. There's going to be a much clearer path to get minutes in 2022-23. As long as Mir McLean can make some noticeable strides, can maybe get more minutes during the game when it matters instead of outside of the last few minutes of the fourth quarter, I feel like that's a pretty good stepping stone for her. And then it can be her junior year where she can really make a next step to become a impact player if she can get that far. Because again, I think she has the talent to, I think she has the potential to just with the way the roster is next season, especially with Griffin ahead of her in the same spot. I think it might just be a little tough for her to find minutes, but if she makes a big leap this off season, again, anything's on the table when you have a player like that. Exactly. I think, you know, it depends what kind of what she does over the off season, but a lot on the table because of her unique skill set. And then, like you said, even if she doesn't find the minutes this season, there's not a lot of minutes to go around, but there's going to be more minutes to go around going forward. So she definitely has an opportunity to, to grow this off season and get some more minutes going into next season and then kind of develop again in, the, in her sophomore off season and really be an impact player for this roster come her junior year. Right, for sure. So looking ahead to other players that maybe if they do make an impact, it's probably further down the line. Pia Gabriel only got 55 minutes all season long, came in with the tag of being a project big. We definitely saw that in her first season. But I think the best thing that you could say about Gabriel is that you could see why the coaching staff brought her in. Yeah, she's very raw, very unrefined, but she's big. Apparently, she's very coachable from what we've heard. And from what I've heard, she's very good defensively and on the glass already. It's just a matter of her improving offensively. So I'm kind of bullish on P.F. Gabriel. I just don't think that impact is going to be in the near future, at least not next season, because, again, you have Nelson Adota, Juhas, Edwards. You also bring in Amari DeBerry, who's probably just at a higher floor than Gabriel is. So probably not going to be an impact player next year, probably still going to be a development year. I still think that she could possibly be a factor down the road for UConn. And even if she's mostly a defensive minded player, that's good rebounding. That's still pretty good to have a six, five player with her size to be able to throw in there and do that. So I thought Gabriel considering the tag that she came in with what we expected out of her coming in with was more or less right along the lines of what I was expecting out of her. Yeah, exactly. I think we saw it, you know, definitely raw. Just saw her in a handful of minutes at the end, in end game scenarios, but I think she did well rebounding in those games when she did come in. She, I think her block rate was something like 10% in those games. So a really small sample size for that, but still it's pretty high there. So definitely some solid performances on the defensive end that we've seen from her. And then as she develops her offensive game, I think as expected, a longer term picture with her, but a player that I could see by her junior season or senior season being a role player on this team. 
Next, Sailor Poffenbarger, the early enrollee. My take with Sailor Poffenbarger is that I honestly do not care about anything that happened this season with her. I'm not going to look too heavily into really anything that happened when she was on the court just because she was so far behind the rest of the freshman class only played 32 minutes all season. This was really just all preparation for next season. And I think that, yeah, she didn't look great out there, but I don't really know how many players like her would come in and make an impact right away. So until we see her after a full off season, a longer amount of time in the system into next season, I really don't have any take on sailor Poffenbarger. Yeah, exactly. I would say the same thing. Like she didn't have a typical off season or any off season coming in. She kind of comes in straight from high school, joins the team late in the season. Just everything that she gained from this time being in the team is definitely going to be helpful for her next year, but not a lot of takeaways from what we actually saw from her on the court in those limited minutes. I think a couple of things that jump out to me is the one that, I mean, she was obviously willing to take shots when she went out there. So definitely has some good confidence. I think, especially considering her situation and the fact that, you know, she came straight from high school and joined this team late. She was so confident enough to go out there and take shots when she was put in the floor. So that's a good sign. And I think we saw her kind of be one of the first players off of the deep bench sometimes this season too. So that has to be a good sign from what Gino saw from her in practice, but other than that, not much to take away. Right. And Gino did mention at one point that he had a conversation with her where he said that she needed to stop acting starstruck and stop acting like a high schooler. And the change was immediate. Even the coach, his, his assistant coaches were like, what did you say to her? Because it was such an immediate impact. So yeah, I think she's going to be in a very good position for next season. And that's really, I think all you can say about sailor this season the last player from this year autumn chasson only played in eight games 15 minutes total missed a big chunk of the season with an undisclosed injury i don't know exactly when the injury occurred or when or what the severity of it was or anything but she wasn't warming up with the team for a lot of the end of the year but next year i think she's going to get a lot of playing time just because yukon's going to be up by 50 on most teams in the fourth <laughs> quarter so there's going to be plenty of Autumn Chasson time next year. Exactly. The better this team is, the more time she's going to get. So I agree. More time for her next season because I don't see there being too many particularly close Big East games. <laughs> to just quickly look ahead to next season's freshman, AZ Foot, obviously, number one player, supposedly another generational prospect. Some people say that she's better than Paige. I. Look, AZ could be really good. I just don't honestly know how someone can be better than Paige for everything that we talked about. It wasn't just how Paige played, but the demeanor that she had, the way that literally nothing shook her, how she just acted like a veteran from day one. AZ Fudd could maybe theoretically be a better basketball player. I just have a really hard time believing that she could also have a similar mindset and just handle things the way that Paige did because I'd never seen it out of any freshman, the way that just Paige took everything in stride. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest separating factor between AZ and Paige. AZ had no dip in her season. I think she had one game where she finished in single digit points. I think AZ is going to be really good, but I think she's probably going to have more games where she finishes with single digit points. I don't think she's going to have to carry the team the way Paige did this season. So I, I don't really know what to expect out of her. I expect her to be good, but I just think that, trying to compare anyone to what Paige did this season is, is just tough. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's still hard to wrap my head around how good Paige was. So to try to imagine someone being actually better than her as a freshman just doesn't really compute at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's still going to be good. She's supposed to be an excellent shooter, which I think, you know, one of the things we talked about this team lacked was three-point shooting. So I think that's going to be a, a really big thing for, for this team next year. And I mean, her and Paige are already working out together in the offseason. So it's good to see. I'm terrified of making any starting lineup predictions just because of how <laughs> spectacularly bad they ended up this year. I just have a really hard time seeing AZ in the starting lineup next year. Obviously one very clear path, but it's not going to be, I think like it was for Paige this season. Next year, Paige is 100% in the starting lineup. Kristen is 100% in the starting lineup. I would be very surprised if Avina and Olivia weren't in the starting lineup next season. That means you really have one spot left. And that could be Dorka for all we know. That could be Aaliyah Edwards. That could be Nika Mule. AZ is going to have to beat out one two-time All-Big Ten first-team player, one really, really good freshman, and one player that Gino's already said is completely changes the way the team plays when she's on the floor. It's a tall task. I'm not saying she can't do it, but there's just no obvious route for her. It's not as clear cut as I think it is looking back for Paige. Yeah, exactly. I think in order to earn that spot in the lineup, she's going to have to be as good as advertised from the get-go. And I think that's, that's really hard to do, especially in a team with this many weapons already. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe by later in the season she works her way into the starting lineup, but I, I have a hard time seeing her in the starting lineup on opening day. Next up, Caroline Ducharm, a big guard from Milton, Massachusetts. The thing with Caroline, no one actually knows how tall she actually is. I think her ESPN profile says she's like 5'10". One of the reporters that covered her in high school said there's no way she's 5'10". She's definitely over 6'1". I think she's like 6'2 or something. That's probably the best guess. But either way, she's a big, versatile guard. When she signed, Gino said she was the exact type of player that UConn wanted to get. She's drawn comparisons to Katie Lou Samuelson. I think it's probably going to be a similar situation with her as it was for Aaliyah Edwards, where you're going to have the superstar freshman that really takes a lot of the hype. And then the way Edwards just performed really well, despite not being in the spotlight, I think Ducharms, my prediction is that she's going to have a very solid freshman year that maybe doesn't get as much recognition just because AZ FUD's going to be there. And you also have Paige Beckers, who's just bringing all this media attention into her orbit to begin with. So there's only so much bandwidth outside of that. I'm pretty excited to see what Caroline Ducharm can do. And especially because she's a relatively local player. And I feel like they don't get a ton of players, at least in the Northeast yeah, exactly. It's not something that happens all that often. So that's exciting to see. And I think the comparisons to Lou are also exciting, right? When you think about how good Lou's career was at UConn. So, and the fact that this team really lacked three-point shooting again this year. So yet another other option to to help with that. So I'm excited to see what she does. Like we said, a, not a lot of minutes to go around in the backcourt. So even if she's really, really solid, I think we might not see a ton from her in her freshman year, but I'm, I'm still excited to see kind of what she does. And then the last one, Amari DeBerry, number 15 player in the class, a six, five big, apparently she can shoot the three. I think it's another one of those things that I kind of want to see that to actually believe it. I guess she has a good defensive presence shot blocker. Gino called her a skilled big, which is something that they need. I think she's probably coming into a really good situation where there's going to be almost no pressure on her to do anything. 
assuming that everyone ahead of her, Nelson and Dota, Edwards and Dorka, all have the roles that we expect them to. There probably won't be a ton of minutes for DeBerry, but I still think she's probably going to get time. And it's just a very good situation for her to come in and develop in because there's not going to be that immediate pressure to perform. She can just kind of go at her own pace and ease into things, which is something that UConn's bigs haven't had a ton of opportunity to do in the past few years. Exactly. This team needed Aaliyah Edwards to be good this season. And I don't think that's necessarily the case with DeBerry next year. I think, you know, she can have a not great freshman year and this team is still going to be really good, but she's got an opportunity to develop and and learn from a handful of solid bigs at UConn. So that's going to be a a big thing for her. And then, like you said, not a ton of minutes to go around, especially if, you know, Nelson Dota makes the kind of jump that Emily Edwards makes the kind of jump that UConn would hope for in the off season. But I think also an opportunity for her to earn more minutes should, you know, she be able to come in and make a quick transition and be really solid for UConn um, in her freshman year. I think the front court lineup is, is less set in stone. I think there's opportunities for players to play their way into it a little bit more. So. Right. Especially because Nelson Adota was only playing 26 minutes a game this season when it was really only Aaliyah Edwards behind her. So I wouldn't be surprised if her minutes fall. I think 20 minutes a game is, still probably right around where Leah Edwards will play. It's going to be very fascinating just in general to see how it all plays out because this is going to be a very deep team. And I think looking back or at least trying to remember back to what we said about this team at the start of the season, I feel like we had a pretty decent grasp on everyone except maybe Aubrey, which I feel like Gino misled us a little bit on Aubrey. He said that she got a thousand times better over the offseason playing with her brother. And I guess me and Gino have different definitions of what a thousand times better looks like. And maybe it's just a difference in practice, but I think that probably threw my expectations off for Aubrey a little bit. And he also mentioned a lot that the four returners looked a lot better than all the other players. So I just kind of expected Aubrey to be at a higher level. And also Anna, I think Anna's injuries probably played a bigger factor than anything, but for the most part, I think it all kind of happened how we expected. I don't think there were any huge surprises again, aside from Anna, I think the way Muir performed was right around. Wasn't super surprising players in the rotation were all kind of right on par. So I think next season it's a lot more muddled. It's not as clear and could be one of those things that changes throughout the season, changes even game to game. So even though I think it's going to be a lot of blowouts next season, a lot more than we've seen in recent years, there's probably still going to be a lot more interesting storylines going in within each game than there were in maybe like 2017, 18, where that team was just beating the crap out of every single team they faced with the same six players every single night. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, we talked a little bit about the depth of this team going into this season, but I think it's, it's clearly more deep going into next season. And I mean, even this season is still settled into, you know, a, a six, seven player rotation. I, I think it's going to be deeper than that next year. And I think we talked about this last week too, but the difference is going to be that they're going to be able to use different strategies to beat different teams. So while it might be, you know, a two front court players on the court for a whole game against one opponent. It might be a four guard lineup against another opponent, or it might be Aubrey and Mir making a big impact against a different opponent. So I think you're going to see varied lineups and different rotations, and it's going to be exciting to watch. Only six months until the season begins. Not that we're counting, which I'm not. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to the summer, but It'll just be interesting to see how it all comes out with a normal summer because you really have an entire roster of players that haven't developed that substantially 
in two years. And I think a lot of the players on this team improved throughout the season, but it's just nowhere compared to the leap that they can make in the off season, which we haven't seen in a while. So this could be a completely different team by the next time we see them on the court. And hopefully that'll be first night in October sometime with actual fans in Gamble Pavilion. Yes, exactly. Definitely looking forward to that. That's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show, like it, review it, share it with a friend or multiple friends. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Read the UConn blog. Megan, send us out. We are doing a Q&A episode next week, so send us your questions on Twitter at the UConn blog, at Daniel B. Connolly, at Mega Gower. We want to hear what you want to hear about. Send them in and we'll answer them next week. Thanks for listening.